0: For some of us, the end of the year means darkness, not just the sense that the days are getting shorter in the Northern hemisphere, but a darkness that comes from feeling alone. No matter where you are in the world, the end of the year and the beginning of the new year usually means celebration, food, and family. Kwanzaa, Ramadan, Hanukkah, Christmas, and other holidays all spark joy and reflection in the community. For some though, These public gatherings only reinforce their loneliness or reminds them of a recent loss and it exacerbates feelings often held in check throughout the rest of the year. If you're feeling depressed and lonely, please seek help. Either confiding in a friend or a professional, there's no shame. Mental health is, after all, health. And you deserve to be healthy. You deserve to feel well. And you deserve to have the resources available to make you whole once again. What if a person that you sought help from suffered a data breach? And what if suddenly your innermost secrets and darkest fears were made public and available on social media? This is the story of the Vastamo data breach, one of the worst healthcare industry data breaches so far to date anywhere in the world. I'm Robert Famosi, you're listening to Error Code.
1: My name is Antti Kurettu, I am the security operations manager for Iben, which is a Finnish managed database company. So I think a SecOps manager is probably just fine.
0: I talked with Antti shortly after his presentation at Sector 2022. Sector is the largest InfoSec conference in Canada, and I really like the talks there because, while they're still technical, they're different. This talk drew my attention because the Vistamo data breach is one of the largest in Finland, of course, but it is perhaps the most devastating For its impact on patient data released into the public.
1: You can mention my current position because this really relates to my previous job. This was a case that we handled there, but I was very careful to craft this whole presentation based on public information. So attaching it to my previous job in that way would be sort of weird because I try to distance myself from the actual engagement that we had. Because the DFIR work is, of course, confidential and bound by an NDA. The company doesn't exist anymore, so I'm not sure if it's valid. But I'm still going to live by, by its uh, spirit, just to uphold my reputation as a professional. But all of the stuff that I spoke about can be publicly sourced and have been. So I have, have it all on my slides.
0: DFIR is Digital Forensics and Incident Response. Which is the investigatory team that you call once your system has been breached. But before we get into the story of how 30,000 patient psychotherapy notes were posted on the internet, perhaps we should begin with what was Vastamo?
1: So, Vastamo was a chain of private psychotherapy clinics that was founded in Finland in 2010 by Ville and Nina Tapio, who are a mother and a son, Ville. Is an IT professional, uh, mostly, as I understand, self-taught, like a lot of people are, even even the best ones, one could argue. And Nina Tapio, his mother, was a psychotherapist, and they had a business idea.
0: So Vastamo was an online service that provided therapists in Finland with a centralized way to book their clients and collect their fees. It also functioned as a central repository for notes during the therapy sessions. For that, they had to trust the IT side of things, that they were good and they were following best practices.
1: Together, when Bill spoke with his mother, asked if there is a way to combine the IT business with her mother's psychotherapy business. So back in 2018, when he had this idea, uh, online services of this kind weren't as popular or available as they are today. So it was a uh, kind of a groundbreaking idea in this way. And they started providing uh, uh, online services like uh, therapy therapy visits over the internet. So that was the core business idea. But soon they realized that uh, a lot of the problems that people came to talk to a therapist about require face-to-face interaction because as we all are probably painfully aware, just Google meeting people isn't the same thing as meeting them face to face. So they expanded the business to cover a number of physical locations all around Helsinki and Finland, large um, in, in other cities in Finland too. So I think they had something like 25 locations at their heyday and almost 400 employees and this was in 2018 so that's that's what it was at the at the point when when all this went down so uh, pretty well pretty well functioning business one of the one of the features of offering psychotherapy at least in finland and probably in other countries too is that the therapists themselves are usually entrepreneurs so they run their own business uh, so they have to Aside from treating their patients and providing the therapy, they also have to do bookkeeping and and all of this other stuff, just taking care of their own calendar and and getting patients and advertising and and things like that. So Vastamo gathered all these professionals under one company and took care of all of all of that stuff, just the boring business side of it, which would allow the therapists to basically get more patients, Get uh, dedicate more of their work time to actually taking care of patients and less on, on booking stuff. And one of the key selling points for them was the uh, IT systems that they would provide for handling the patients and their records and, and all of that stuff, like booking me uh, sessions and billing.
0: So from the outside, everything was all well and good. It was a way for independent therapists to offload those administrative tasks. And perhaps that was too good to be true. Often with data breaches, some security best practices were just not followed. And nobody anonymized the records here. And wow, they didn't even encrypt them.
1: Uh, yes, uh, they had homebrew software that was made, made to help the therapists keep notes of, of their sessions with the patients. And one part of that, that was actually hosted on the public interwe- internet as a whole. So you could reach it at potilasrekisteri.vastamo.fi, which is Potilas is Finnish for patient registry. So it was unambiguously named as what it was. Mm-hmm. And that provided a web interface for the therapists to log on and, and make their notes. And as a backend for this web application, as with many web applications, there was a MySQL database, which unfortunately was exposed to the internet for uh, uh, I calculated 472 days, is quite close to the to the mark. That is at least the time uh, range that Shodan will give you if you search for the IP address's history. So for quite a long while, it was world reachable and. This in itself is a questionable configuration choice, but um, what really, really made it worse was that it was accepting connections from any other address and it had a root password, a root account active with a blank password.
0: Okay, so some obvious red flags here Homebrew software and that can be kind of suspicious, but not always. I mean, hopefully they were testing that software for vulnerabilities along the way. But having open SQL database on the internet? That's clearly not good. A definite red flag there. So it's starting to sound like the problems with Vastamo were perhaps related to pretty basic InfoSec configuration errors.
1: Well, yes. Although, I just say that InfoSec had nothing to do with it. I think it was just an oversight, because if they had done any InfoSec analysis on the system, this is one of the first things you check, that the root account is not accessible by anyone but local host, and that the database is only accepting local connections, or if the web application itself is hosted somewhere else, connections from that address, and For a system like this, I I couldn't sleep at night without having it behind a VPN and some serious intrusion detection systems installed.
0: The Finnish healthcare system is pretty straightforward. Everyone residing in the country is entitled to public healthcare services. It's even stated in the Constitution of Finland that public authorities shall guarantee for everyone adequate social, health, and medical services – As an American, I'm jealous. I'm also not familiar with all the details of the security regarding the EU healthcare systems, or for that matter, Finland's in particular. There are laws regulating such databases, such as Vastamo, right? Yes, there are. There is, um,
1: Valvira, which is the the regulatory authority for health systems, has set regulation for information systems that are connecting or connected to the national database that we have called Kanta. So Kanta is the, because we have nationalized healthcare in Finland, we also have a centralized registry of patient information. And that interface interfaces with a lot of applications that different healthcare providers use. So to be able to interface with Kanta, you need to have, uh, uh, sorry, I'll go to my notes here. You must have a data security audit and you will be issued a certificate if passing that and you will have to do testing to make sure that it actually passes all the requirements needed. And it needs to store and retrieve and, and treat the information in a certain format to be contact compatible. And with this compatibility requirement, uh, a lot of information security guidelines are also issued and the requirements issued. But that's for class A and for class B systems, which are all the other systems that, that smaller healthcare providers use, that do not directly interface with Kanta, that host their data locally, there are no such requirements. You just need to make a statement that your system is secure and that it is being audited by the standards that you set yourself. So basically, you just need to do a risk assessment and, and give that, let's say, just a a scout's promise to Valvera and say that it's a secure system. But there is no mandatory testing.
0: Not every system has to be pen-tested to be considered in compliance. For example, with PCI DSS, the Payment Card Industry Data Security Standards, they allow for such divisions. For example, small businesses can self-attest that they are following the best practices. And if they lie, if they get breached, they stand to lose a lot of money. This is understandable because
1: a lot of the systems that healthcare providers use deal with things like booking times and sessions and meetings and just transferring information that is naturally sensitive and private PII information, so personally identifiable information, but does not carry as much sensitive information as, say, therapist notes. So this was a point of discussion during this whole thing, and uh, Ville Tapio said that he had not received um, proper guidance on how to connect the, the patient registry to Kanta because the Kanta system wasn't adequately, let's say, defined or designed to hold... Therapist notes, which is information that should not reach your other
0: healthcare providers. Oh, right. So typically, your health record is going to have lab test data. It's not necessarily designed to hold long passages, such as psychiatrist notes. On the other hand, maybe those notes should only be on local systems and not part of some national database?
1: because it, it should be only available to those people who are treating you for whatever you're seeing a therapist for. When you go to the pharmacy or see your GP, uh, they are not supposed to be able to access that information. So I, I think this was the his, his counter argument to the fact that it should have been an A1 system or at least an A-class system. So the regulation fell short here and There are hundreds of Class B systems in Finland, only one person looking after all those systems. So it was not even theoretically possible for them to actually go and assess individual systems.
2: The
0: thing to remember here is that Vastamo was not new. It had been around for a while, and IT started before these regulations were actually put in place.
1: 2008 was the original idea, and 2010 the company was founded. Yeah, it was in operation for eight years until almost ten years when all this went down. So it was it was not a new company at that point. So it started in two thousand and ten by providing the internet, the online services, but then expanded to on site locations. And in two thousand and eighteen, they had twenty five locations, four hundred employees, and they were really looking to expand and grow
0: the business. So the year 2018 proved to be a pivotal year for Vestamo. It was looking to go big. It was looking to expand. And that's when it got breached.
1: Well, that's hard to say. There's a there's a lot of, let's say that there is no clear timeline that we can point towards and say that, that what happened and when. Because uh, according to the GDPR sanctions report that was published by the government. uh, There were numerous times when, when the server was breached, so that it can be shown that it was breached, but there was a significant lack of logging and visibility. So it's anyone's guess how many visitors the database had at this point. But as far as my understanding goes, the MySQL was exposed to the Internet, for a year and a half with no root password. So any odd scanner brute forcer would be able to access, this and dump, access it and dump the database. But there was signs of a breach in 2018 and also in 2019. And on the 15th of March, there was a destructive attack against the database, just a drive-by extortion surely not targeting Bustam or just targeting any open MySQL servers, that dumped the database and left the ransom note there. This is not the actual attack that caused it to become public. This just caused their patient registry web application to throw MySQL errors because it couldn't find the tables it needed. This is
0: serious because it's a reference to how to find the data. And if it's gone, then theoretically the data might be gone, but in reality, it's just hard to find.
1: And this prompted the system's administration administrators to actually take a look at the system and notice that there's something wrong. So they logged in, they noticed that their tables are gone, there is a ransom message there where their patient data should be, and at that point, uh, the MySQL port closes. They install some security software and just call it a production mistake. And this is also a big point of contention here because Villa Tapio says that at this point the admins did not tell him what had happened. The admins say that they did tell him, and there was a big, big dispute over this because uh, before after this happened, actually, uh, a private, private venture capital firm bought the majority of Vastamo. So now they were holding a company that was basically worthless after the attack. And the big big question was that were they made aware of all all the Infosec issues that the company had prior to the purchase of the majority of the shares. And uh, Ville Tapio says that he did not lead them astray and told them everything he knew, but the arbitration court decided otherwise and uh, ordered him to return the sum that was paid for his shares.
0: So with the ransomware attack, I wonder if Vostamo discussed any sort of payment for that?
1: Well, I'm not privy to the conversations that were had during the 2019 attack. So I think the results were that they recovered the database from a backup and continued normal operations. So that, that's how they recovered from this and, and also closed the MySQL port that was used as the avenue of attack. But at this point, it was pretty obvious that this was just a drive-by attack, and it was unlikely that the attackers had even actually copied the database. There's no way to tell, of course, but uh, these kinds of swipes where you scan and access and drop and write a note, usually the attackers don't have the patience or the time or the bandwidth, or the storage capacity to actually steal the database and return it if they're paid.
0: Right. So when a system is hit by ransomware, often it started before the ransomware announced itself. Usually the ransomware copies the data, then begins encrypting the live data on the server. When the whole system is encrypted, the ransomware announces itself. If the victim pays, and victims should try and never pay, then... The unencrypted data can be returned, or most likely though, there's a decryption key. And that copy of the data that the ransomware stole, that can be used to force the victim to pay a second time in order to keep the data from ever going public. Most often though, the ransomware operators lack both the time and the storage to copy that database. In this case, more than 10 gigabytes. This, as Auntie said, was a simple drive-by attack.
1: They just try to scam the people into paying because that's the first thing they asked you to do. It was 0.045 Bitcoin. I think that's something like 2,000 euros at the time. So not a significant amount. The later attack came in 2020.
0: Sorry, I'll go to my notes here. So many dates. And he is careful here. All the information he's shared in, is in the public domain. He's not sharing anything that shouldn't be out
1: there. Yeah, and I'd like it to be obvious when listening to the episode that everything that I've spoken about it is in the public record and is public information. And I want to be careful yeah. that it doesn't sound like I'm spilling the dirt on the company now after after the investigation's over. So that that would really hurt me. I'm sure you know how to handle this kind of situation, but I just wanted to put it out there. So if you want to narrate that part in, that I, I mentioned this twice, and want to be careful to say that everything can be publicly sourced.
0: So by now, we have a database that's been viewed in the past, perhaps as far back as 2018. And there have been drive-by attacks in 2019. But the real news, when Vastamo burst into the public, that happened in October of 2020,
1: The attack that actually turned this into a public affair happened in October 21st of 2020. And this was when Ransom Man first made contact with the public.
0: The whole reason we're even talking about Fastamo and not some other data breach is that there's an individual who called himself Ransom Man. And Ransom Man made a big and noisy show of having his hands on the patient data from Vastamo?
1: Well, he called himself Ransom Man, so we'll just call him the cyber criminal. So he started by posting to a bunch of Finnish boards, image boards, websites about having access to Vastamo's patient registry and publicly throwing down the gaunt- down the gauntlet and asking Villa Tapia to pay 40 bitcoins, or actually Vastamo to pay 40 bitcoins, which at the time was about 450,000 euros. So they did that, presumably, to just exert pressure on the company, and they thought that making things public would make things easier for them, but it rarely does.
0: So I'm thinking here might be when Vastamo actually discussed paying a ransom. I don't know about the discussion,
1: whether to pay or not, because that's not, that's not actually in the public record Uh, the police and the national Cybersecurity center were involved at this point and they were handling that part of the whole and the the investigation still ongoing so it it doesn't it's not yet public information on what kind of discussions were had but i would guess that it was at least uh, one of the questions that were asked what should we do in a situation like this because uh a lot of companies opt to pay but, at least my experience in Finland is that a lot of companies don't even consider paying. They just eat the loss and, and rather pay a DFIR company five times what they would pay the extortionist just to avoid paying them. So that just seems to be kind of a Finnish way of uh, handling this kind of a situation. So, so I don't know what kind of discussions were had but At least, Ransom Man was not pleased with the way things were going. Because when he went public with this, this had been an ongoing case for several weeks. That is also uh, publicly known that Nixu, my previous employer, was employed to help with the DFIR work before it became public. But this was mostly a police investigation at that time and, and Nixu's job was to just do technical forensic uh, di- digital forensic analysis for the server to see what kind of uh, uh, traces could be found on it, on what kind of a uh, attack took place. So that was that was our job, and it was strictly that, and nothing else. Right. So everything else was handled by the police and the national cybersecurity center.
0: Here's where the story gets crazy. On October 21st, 2020, Fastamo announced that it's confidential treatment records of approximately 36,000 psychotherapy patients and 400 employees had been compromised. The ransomware party, Ransom Man, announces then he's going to start releasing 100 patient records a day until the ransom is paid.
1: On the 22nd of October, he released the first batch of 100 patient records. So he put them on a Tor-hosted website, which was just an Apache web server file listing page. And it listed 100 text files, which each included uh, a single patient's all therapy notes, their social security number, their email address, possibly their phone number. I'm not sure. And other details, details like when their visit was and how much was paid for the visit. So 100 of these were released. On the second day, he released 100 others. Uh, So there was 200 out, and he threatened to do this every day until he is paid, or he exhausts the (laughs) database. But on the third day,
0: something really interesting happened. So I've long held this theory that there is no perfect crime that the guilty party will leave behind a clue or make a mistake that will invariably point back to them as the responsible party. Now, with Vastamo, on the third day, this individual, ransom man, did something, well, kind of stupid. So
1: instead of releasing another 100 patient records, a 10.9 gigabit file appeared on the web server called Vastamo So TAR, as everybody uh, who knows a bit about file formats, and I expect that to be most of your listeners, is short for Tape Archive, which means that the files are stored sequentially without compression into a single file to be written to a Tape Archive or an Archive Tape. So pretty standard Unix format and uncompressed is the key here because we were able to download a significant chunk of this file before Ransomman noticed that he had actually put it online. And when he noticed that, he took the whole web server down, severing all ongoing downloads. But because it was uncompressed, we were able to open the beginning part of the file and get a good bunch of it. And just do some analysis, analysis on that. Unfortunately, the file began with all the patient records. There was over 30,000 files there, all written into text files and a Python script to read, it from, read patient files from the database and write them to a text file. And just by analyzing the Python code, it was obvious that it was very well written. It was properly formatted, it had no errors, and it produced exactly what it was supposed to produce. So. Uh, At least there was a level of technical proficiency there for the attacker, even though the attack itself did not uh, take much technical skill.
0: Our story gets even crazier. Unfortunately, Ransom Man simply disappeared.
1: Yeah. um, After the mistake that he made, he disappeared. Before this, he was communicating with people using this Torilauta, which was a Finnish TOR, sort of a darknet market slash discussion board slash image board kind of thing, uh, which was actually set to be uh, decommissioned after three years of existence. Its owner said that the longer you run one of these things, the more likely it is that you will get caught. So he shut it down just a few weeks later. But before that, ransomman was very active in speaking with individual people who engaged him there also reporters and others, so he wasn't playing any hide-and-seek
0: games. He was just there in tour talking with people. This was the type of boastful arrogance that should have gotten him identified and arrested. But
1: once this big file slipped, he disappeared entirely. And the next day, he emailed all of the people whose uh, details were in the patient database, trying to ransom them individually. So, the InfoSec community in Finland, especially Mikko Hypponen, reached out to his followers and asked them to provide uh, Bitcoin addresses because Ransom Man had a unique Bitcoin address for every patient. And Mikko was able to gather a number of those. And after doing some analysis on those, he it was pretty obvious that Ransom Man's not going to make a lot of money this way.
0: Crime really doesn't pay. I remember when this was all said and done with NetPetya ransomware. It was estimated that the criminal behind that made very little money, in part because they had set up the payment exchange improperly. Also, how do ordinary people set up Bitcoin payments? For most people, it's a little bit like paying in Chinese yuan. It's possible. It's not convenient. Because most people, first of all,
1: don't know how to use Bitcoin. And second of all, are not willing to pay. So most people just declined the offer to pay him. A few did, of course, because a lot of, a lot of the patients had very, very private things there. And as a last grasp to save it from becoming public, they paid the
0: ransom. Unfortunately, that also meant a lot of people did not get their data back by paying the ransom. Here's Miko Hupinen from WithSecure on the Security Sauna podcast.
2: The money figure he was trying to get from each victim wasn't, wasn't very large. Um, some victims did successfully pay. Um, the, the attacker himself was uh, recommending to use this the Raha service, which is the biggest exchange here in Finland. But you, of course, it's Bitcoin, you can pay through any service. Sure. And I spoke with victims uh, who had paid the ransom, had used Binance or other services, people who were more familiar with, with Bitcoin. And I spoke with a lot of victims who wanted to pay, but were unable. They couldn't figure it out on right. time. They don't know how it all works. They they, they tried using the Pitti service, but the money was returned back to them. So, nevertheless, the, the actual concrete amount of money the, the attacker was able to walk away with was a few thousand euros.
0: For all of that, the criminal gained a few thousand euros, not to mention all the lives that he destroyed along the way.
1: But at this point, as he had already accidentally leaked all of the patient files, we had no idea how many people were actually holding them. So it was effectively out there like an oil, oil spill on the ocean. It's just, it was uncontained. So there was no point in paying him. This wasn't public knowledge at the time, but we realized it the right way that, okay, now, now the data's gone. So he lost all of his leverage. And I'm pretty sure he realized that too, because... He dropped off the face of the earth at that point.
0: So, given all these clues, who might Ransom Man be? Who might have engaged with the victims only to disappear once his leverage was gone?
1: My guess is, based on circumstances, mostly mostly on how he chose his locations and some very amateurish text analysis, I would guess that he's at least a native Finnish speaker. Because it, it's just this—the fact that he chose the places that he chose—and I'm also guessing it's a he, uh, based on just experience of these people. It's—you um, don't only need to know the Finnish language; you need to know something about Finnish internet culture to be able to pick up the sites that he actually used. Because I don't think those are known outside of Finland very well, because they're all Finnish language. So no international discussions there. Not at least enough volume to actually attract anybody from outside Finland.
0: As this podcast was being produced, an arrest warrant was issued for Julius Kivimäki, a known criminal hacker in Finland. With that update, here's Miko Hupinen once again.
2: There's an international arrest warrant. The whereabouts of the suspect, Mr. Julius Kivimäki, are unknown at the time. He's most likely somewhere in Europe. And he has a 10-year history of of various hacks. He started as very young. He was hanging around with internationally known hacking groups like uh, HTP or or Lizard Squad, was running botnets, has been launching denial of attacks against various services, including high-profile targets like the Sony PlayStation Network. Mm. He's been... Uh, involved allegedly, I guess, in in swatting incidents, calling cops on his enemies, or pretending to be his enemy and do something that the cops will raid their homes. And in at least two cases, where he's made bomb threats on airplanes, which have then been met with fighter jet and escorted to emergency landings to search for bombs, which are not on the planes, in order to cause hassle for mm-hmm. some key people who happen to be on those planes. So highly unusual individual who has been active in the online underground for quite a while. Quite unusual for a Finnish hacker. We, we don't have cases like this usually. Meanwhile,
0: the police turned on Valle Tapio, the Vastamo CEO. Yes, the
1: police have recently, uh, recently charged Ville Tapio with I'm not sure what the actual charges are in English but it has relates to reckless endangerment of patient data.
0: So these records are effectively out there in the public now. Have any further consequences come of that?
1: Well there has been uh, a lot of a lot of worry at least for the patients for their secrets coming out and uh, later in August of 2021 somebody who had downloaded all the patient files took the trouble to actually create a search engine of the, of the data and put it on Tor. And they registered a Finnish language domain to point towards one of these Tor2 clear web bridges that are out there called vastamohaku.fi, which is just vastamosearch.fi. And it had just a search bar. Which you could type any word into, and it would return all the files that have those have those uh, keywords. So you could use social security numbers, birth dates, names, keywords like well, whatever you want to search for in those files. So that was out there on the internet for a while because just finding the data would be difficult for. Uh, uh, somebody who who doesn't have any access to any underground services or things like that. So I haven't been, haven't seen it being shared in Twitter or Reddit or anything like that. But I'm I'm sure that it's available.
0: There are of course less accessible parts of the internet where stolen data is routinely bought and sold. If you go to
1: any sufficiently equipped darknet market, for example,
0: there's also an interesting difference in how some data is treated. For example, in the United States, a social security number was created so that people later in life could draw upon the funds that were taken from their paycheck while they were still working. Social security in Finland, well, somewhat similar, but the point of view about guarding that number has changed.
1: There was identity theft and a peculiar feature of the Finnish society is that our social security number has been treated as some kind of a secret for a while. And and people sort of try to guard it, which is kind of uh, abuse of the whole thing because it's sure it's private, it's yours, but it doesn't need to be private. The only reason it's private is that a lot of services that don't have any other forms of authentication will accept your social security number and knowledge of it as proof of identity. So when those get leaked, then people can order stuff online and have the bill sent to you. So that's a systemic problem. And uh, I I argued at the time publicly that the social security number should be just a personal identifier. The only function of it should be just to tell the difference between two people with the same name. It should be public enough that you could just print it on your t-shirt and have no adverse effects so they changed the law slightly so that it's easier to get a new social security number if you can show that your previous one has been abused but i think what they should have done is make everybody's social security numbers public and just force the hand of the market to just stop accepting it as some kind of a private
0: identifier because it's basically being treated as a password. Clever. One way to deter somebody from stealing something is to greatly diminish the value of it. If you publish everyone's social security number and anyone can get access to it at any time, there's much less motivation to steal something that is so common. But there's still a problem with this idea.
1: But unlike a password, the first six characters are your birth date, you have to give it to everybody when you identify yourself. I think um, before the advent of streaming services, there was a video rental chain that had probably the social security number of every Finn alive who had ever rented a video. So you have to just leak it everywhere, and it's almost impossible to change. So that's uh, that's one problem that that came out of it, but I I haven't really heard that it caused any rampant ID theft. I think the impact to privacy was the biggest impact for the patients and the trust towards mental health services and digital systems was uh, also a casualty.
0: So I'm wondering, after Vastamo, have there been any rules or regulations that have changed as a result? Change is slow, so
1: not that I know of. I'm, I'm not sure where we are with the Conta regulations currently, but the the latest information that I pulled from the net for my presentation at sector showed basically the same things that were in effect in 2020 when this happened. So I hope so, and I, I totally hope that they revamp the regulation and just start actually taking into account what kind of information is being stored and not just how it's being stored and what it's used for, because, for example, information that is is, let's say secret by its very nature and purpose, like therapist notes, which is a relationship built on trust and privacy, should be treated differently as let's say blood test results and encryption at rest would be important so that if the database is is breached but the web application is not then at least the keys would be secure and that be just effect- effectively random data harder to search for sure but yeah, just there's no excuse for the way that it was handled in
0: this case was the vastamo data breach an exception or are data breaches a problem in Finland, just as they are everywhere else? Well,
1: there haven't been a lot. And I think the reason is that Finland is such a small country. So and ransomware operations are global. We've certainly had cases where there have been successful ransomware attacks in Finland. I've, I've handled a few. But the biggest impact usually has been loss of access to data. So accessibility has been the Uh, Sorry, availability has been the biggest problem. So just leaking confidential information... uh, I can't think of another case off the top of my head where this would have been the case. Usually, it's just a case where you either don't have backups or you have a backup that's not really a backup, which means that it's stored on the same server as the actual database. So you have an online backup, which I would rather call a working copy instead of a backup. So you're unable to recover even though, in theory, you think you're good. But that kind of a backup is usually only for, let's say, database corruption due to software bugs or things like that. So you can replace the the hot copy with a cold copy that you have right next to it. But when the ransomware operators are able to breach the whole server and encrypt everything, then it's it's a pretty nice thing to have an offline copy of it. Sure. So th- that seems to be the biggest problem because a, a lot of companies are still operating uh, business-critical legacy systems that they are not, just not able to upgrade. Just all the cost of upgrading it would be prohibitive. Talking about very large databases of, of, let's say, customer information or sales information or things like that, and everything's working fine. It's a Microsoft Access database that somebody set up in 2005 and it's been expanding ever since. And when it gets too slow, you just buy a new server. And just trying to get that migrated into something more modern is usually just not worth the trouble. And starting from scratch using modern technology well it's hard to find the business justification for that so they just keep using the old one and at some point they run out of support and they start running it on older software and um, that's the point where the CISO loses the rest of his hair so these these are the usual scenarios that we see we see we saw at nixu so Of course, there are more advanced attackers, and ransomware is a problem that keeps getting more advanced. But this case, in my opinion, does not compare to actual ransomware very well because these were obviously not professional ransomware operators. They used no special software to encrypt anything. They didn't even destroy the database. And the copy of the database they had was a couple of years old at the point of attack. So our best estimation of when the database leaked was back in 2018. This is also made public by by government records. So there is no reason to think that it the actual ransoming and leaking of the database happened close to each other. Hmm. I think what actually happened was that ransomman was just able to scan the open database. Uh, He got a bunch of databases, and one day he was idly just browsing through what he has, maybe running regexes to find social security numbers, credit cards, whatever can be monetized, and then just realized that he actually has the whole patient database of Plastamo. Then he did a quick search to see the financials of the company, the people of the company and spent maybe five minutes planning this whole operation and then started extorting them. So that's, that is my, my let's say, gut feeling of what went down.
0: So why did Vastamo happen?
1: And that, that is a question that has a lot of answers. It, it has the technical answer. It happened because of my SQL port was open. But I don't think that's the real answer because just the... A server misconfiguration is, is, of course, a convenient way to explain what happened. But I think what actually happened was that the company was growing so fast and there was such a focus on opening new locations and, and expanding and growing that the basic stuff got neglected. And in this case, when the focus was so fully on business, the core of the operation, which is maintaining customer trust, was lost. And this was shown by the fact that the IT department was staffed by two people who weren't even working full-time for the company. They had nobody who was tasked with information security, even though they carried information of people that was, uh, let's say, of utmost importance to them to keep it private. So, and I don't think that they they really kept that in mind when they were focusing on growing the business. So I think the, the business-mindedness of the operation kind of got the best of them. And, and uh, yeah, I, I think that's the core reason why all of this happened. I think that Ransom Man just stumbled upon this data by accident the amateurish mistakes that he made by leaking all of the data he got was also just unfortunate i'm pretty sure that they didn't mean to do that because that just lost their leverage totally and they were obviously dead set on just dragging this on and trying to build up the public pressure and by the third day they slipped and just lost their lost their game totally at that point so so just uh, just a series of mistakes so um, catastrophic mistakes at at, <laughs> at this scale, of course, but still just mistakes.
0: we mentioned the loss in confidence in this type of service, psychotherapy online. I'm wondering though, have there been companies that have rushed to fill the void by vastamo
1: uh yeah, probably, because most of the therapists are still active. I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of them are still seeing their old patients. They just moved to work for other companies or continued as entrepreneurs. I'm, uh, I'm not that familiar with the psychotherapist scene in Finland, but I would guess that most of them have the capability to operate as independent people also. I think the business was sold to uh, a different company, which rebranded it and, and continued uh, I'm pretty sure they didn't keep using the IT systems that were Vastamo's property. I should hope so. I'm actually sure they didn't. But the services are still offered by, by different companies now. So this kind of a void gets filled. It's not like 400 people lost their living for, for good. They just had to find new employment because four months after the data breach became public, Vastamo was insolvent. Mm-hmm. It just went under right away. Because, of course, when something like this hits the press, nobody is coming to their appointments anymore. So that is is basically the key value of the company. I think one of the key values should have been just maintaining customer trust because we could instantly tell that losing that trust means losing your whole business.
0: So it sounds like we've only scratched the surface here that there's a lot that the public still has to learn about the Vastamo data breach.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a lot of details that are not publicly known and I will hold them under my hat until they are. So that's why I'm waiting for the trial because after the trial is over all of that information will become public. And also super interested to hear what the police have uncovered because they're not telling me. (laughs) So it's the, the private company is kept out of the loop by design and by law. So that's, that's fine. I'm not complaining. But.
0: Until we know the full story, is there any bright takeaway that we can have from this experience? Is there anything positive that we can come away with? Well, it's,
1: uh, it's the usual fare. Whenever something really horrible happens, we can just look back and say, at least we learned from that. But I'm not sure we did. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm not sure. This is a kind of a depressing story. So there is no happy ending to it right now. There is, of course, more awareness of the sensitivity of of the data that a lot of companies are holding about us. Usually, nothing as sensitive as this, so the impact is usually smaller. But I haven't been to a single security event after this, where Vastamo hasn't been mentioned at least five times. So it is it it did bring it more into the forefront of consciousness and could be that a lot of companies actually spend a lot of time and money to enhance their security because of Vastamo and never got breached and would have gotten without it. But that's the dilemma of uh, doing effective security work, just nothing happening It means you won. So it's pretty impossible to gauge what the actual material effects of this was in the positive side of the scale.
0: I'd like to thank Auntie for coming on the show and talking about this criminal investigation. It's an important data breach, one that stands out just because, well, it involves personal lives. It's not just data that's being stolen. It's not just money that is being gained. It's deeper, darker secrets that were not really meant to be shared. And this really crosses a line. This really establishes itself as a pretty heinous crime. So I hope this case gets resolved. And when it does, hopefully bring you an update. Hey, I'm just getting started with error code. DM me at robertvamosi at infosec.exchange on Mastodon or at robertvamosi on Twitter. And tell me what you like and even what you don't. Hey, I've got some great episodes coming up every two weeks going forward, including one on the security of IoT devices and medical practices and one on the IoT-based Zadnost botnet. Subscribe today on your favorite podcast platform. I don't want you to miss out.